Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavner here on TRSI. I'm here today with my friend and colleague Michael Dwyer. Today is Wednesday the 24th of the 3rd. Michael, how have you been since we last talked? I've been fine, Gary, just fine. Uh, recently, Michael, we, we'd been talking about a professor called Oren Doyle in Trinity, who had come out and written a blog post about what exactly the law is on churches. And what is the law regarding public masses? And there's what the state is saying and there is what the law actually says, and there appears to be a degree of confusion there. And he was making the point that he thought the state was deliberately acting to confuse people by basically overstating the regulations and then threatening people with legal punishment for doing things that were on the face of it not actually illegal. Yes. But he then said that he thought this was deliberate, as any time the state had had to state exactly what the legal restrictions were, because there was a a legal issue or a potential legal issue, they had been able to say exactly what they were. That situation has now changed because we now know, due to Declan Ganley's case, that there seems to be a degree of confusion over exactly what is happening with the law. So Declan Ganley, for those who don't know, is is bringing a case uh, against the restrictions on masses, saying that if there are those restrictions, that would be a breach of his constitutional rights. Well, not just his constitutional rights, but has to be his for standing everyone's constitutional rights. But yesterday, when they turned up a court, Declan Ganley's people rose a recent report by the Human, uh, Human Rights and Equality Commission And that report said there is actually no legal basis for the ban on public masses. So Declan Ganley's uh, legal people asked the state, the state's legal representation, if there was actually a ban, if that law exists. And the long and the short of it is that the courts have given them two weeks to come back and tell them if that law exists. Regular listeners may remember, I think it was the last podcast, we we referred to a case where uh, some time ago, Neve Smith, uh, Field of Fall TV from Cabin Monaghan, asked three questions to Heather Humphreys about the Gender Recognition Act. And the minister responded, so you take all three questions together, and her answer was, well, you know what, I'm just the minister, and you have to understand, I wouldn't know that kind of thing, what the law actually says. We'll have to wait for the courts to judge on, to adjudicate on that. So the minister was asked what the law was. The minister said, I don't know what the law is. Okay, we wrote the law. <laughs> we framed it. We enacted it into legislation, but we don't know what it means. We'll have to wait for a judge to tell us. In this case... They went on a different issue, and they went to the courts. They went to the High Court, indeed, and said to the High Court, is this the law? And the High Court said, ah, oh, gee, we wouldn't know that. Sure, we'll ask the state, and we'll give them a couple of weeks to come back to tell us if this is the law or not. So, Gary, it seems to me we now have a position in this republic where the courts don't know what the law is, and the ministers and the government don't know what the law is, and in the middle you have the guards who are basically making up what the law is, and you pays your money, you takes your chance. And I don't think this is the way you're supposed to run a railroad. There is a line here that says that, look, the state solicitor said that they wanted to go and take instruction from the state, which is to say they wanted to go back to the state, get Declan Ganley's people to put it to them in writing, and that they would then, in conjunction with their client, the state, give a formal response to it. That's perfectly fair in, in, you know, in many things. Lawyers will need to take instruction from their clients at different things, at different points. But we're, f- we're actually, we're, we're not just a couple of weeks into this. We're four months into this. 
and they need to take instruction, not on a, a particular course of action or something complicated. They need to take instruction on whether the restrictions the case is about actually exist. Am I missing something here? It, surely, surely the judges have some capacity in this kind of situation where you go to the court and you say to the judge, is this lawful? And the judge looks at it as a question of law, not as a question of fact, because it's not a fact-finding effort. It's not a criminal case, but rather, could you adjudicate on whether or not this is the case as a matter of law? And the judge says, well, should we ask the government? And the government is then going to have to come back and the government will tell us whether it is or not a fact of law, even though it seems pretty clear the government doesn't know. They'll come back with the result of that. At, at that point, then, the judges will adjudicate on whether or not this putative fact of law is constitutional or not. But we have to find out if it exists. It's kind of... We've, we seem to guide, we've left the realms of law and entered the realms of philosophy and metaphysics. Does the law exist? If the law exists, does it, to, in what way does it exist? Does it exist only in the mind of the state or the government, but not in the mind? How could any citizen be reasonably expected to obey a law when neither the courts nor the government know if the law exists? So I, I talked to a couple of people in the legal profession on this because just wanted to be sure about exactly what was happening here. And I've been just watching the social media back and forth on Irish legal Twitter. And there seems to be two broad stances. There is naked mockery of the state. And there's people going, well, what did you expect when they just turned up and sprung this question on council? Do you expect them to wing it? Does this law exist Seems like the sort of thing you shouldn't have to wing four months into a case. That also sounds like the comment of a lawyer who someday has hopes of possibly being Attorney General in the Fine Gael government. I mean, Michael, you could say that, but I couldn't possibly comment on who said it. Like, it's not a technical question. I mean, perhaps it's some sort of big philosophical question about why we're even in the building. Are we in the building? Does the building exist? But it's not, it's not really filling people with uh, a great deal of faith, I think. And anyway, the guards are still going to issue fines and we'll see where that goes. As if the law was there, it just may not be. Yeah, fines. But are they fines or are they supplements? I don't know if you saw it was reported. Now, I, I use the word reported in the loosest possible sense that... Uh, a well-known Irish sports personality apparently arrived in Dublin airport with a group of people, wanted to go to Dubai, and basically paid 500 euro fines for everybody who got on the plane and went to Dubai. What I used to, I don't know if they still do it, but on, on continental Europe, if you take a fast train, as opposed to the locals or the regional trains, you pay a supplement for the super rapid train. And I'm just wondering if travel now, the 500 euro is not so much a fine, but a supplement you pay. So to be able to go by plane rather than having to go to Belfast and get a plane from there. It can't be easy to be fair for the, on the guards. Because surely, if you're, a, if you're a guard now, and you're, you're, you're reading this, you're coming across this on your Twitter feed, there must be part of you thinking, well, what am I supposed to do? Yeah, you've probably been told there was a law in place, and therefore you had to do these things. And then it turns out, 
actually there may not be a law in place and we'll need several weeks to determine if there is in fact a law in place. Well, here's the question then. If there is a lack of clarity regarding this, and there obviously is a lack of clarity because the court has given them two weeks to come back to decide, work it out, and, and also because they themselves did not feel that they were in a position to give a reply to the court at that moment, until the clarification has happened, what is the status of this, let's call it, regulation? Will, will it be possible? How can you prosecute people or find people or impose penalties on people? for something that you're not actually sure is law or exists or is something with a penalty. How can you do that? I mean, it might make it quite difficult to prove, let's say, any sort of mens rea. I'm sorry, I just have to ask, is that a relation to Chris Rea? (laughs) 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 Write that one down, folks, you can use it. (laughs) Yes, thank you, Michael. Guilty mind. I did Latin. I know what mens rea is. Yeah, it's kind of. It, it might be hard to you know, show that, considering that the government doesn't know if it's a crime. It's a tricky one. You have to say it's a tricky one. No, and uh, but it's kind of symbolic, shall we say, metaphorical, analogous, whatever the fuck, for the the whole state of everything connected to the government's management of. of uh, the, the, the grand and glorious pandemic that we have now been experiencing for the last year and a bit. So anyway, I suppose, Gary, we wait with bated breath. Now, I did notice that it was two weeks. And I don't know if that was deliberate. I, would like, I wouldn't like to impute any timetabling shenanigans to a, an august body like the High Court. But by... By putting it back two weeks, that does mean that we get into the week after Easter, not the week before Easter, which is kind of the week that the the Christians apparently are the most are the most exercised about. And if they'd said come back in a week's time, they would actually have come back in time, for potentially the government to say, well, actually you can go ahead and have public services for the for Easter week. Well, Michael, I just want to distance myself from your implication that an Irish court would act in a political manner, a nakedly political manner. I, I, I felt I was quite clear in avoiding any implic- implication any implication of, of, of imputation of any such thing. That, as I said, I, I'm sure that as Augusta the body is, would not be engaged in such shenanigans. Now, if it was a court in another less reputable country than ours, then that kind of thing might happen. Kind of thing that would go on in places like Argentina or, or Paraguay or Belgium. It is it is unfortunate that in this particular instance, that if they were going to act in that manner, it would be virtually indistinguishable from what just happened. It would be, but that's sometimes the way the, the cookie crumbles, Gary. I mean, as I said, Michael, sometimes it's very hard to show intent. It is. It is very hard to show intent. We have no window to look into men's souls. Particularly not the judiciaries. If they have souls. Interesting philosophical question. A small little thing I just wanted to, to throw out as a little amuse-bouche. You love your amuse-bouche, don't you, Gary? Well, it's free. Why wouldn't you like it? I actually don't like them in restaurants. What have you got against the amuse-bouche? I work on the basis that when I go to a restaurant, I will order what I want and eat what I want. And I don't like to be provided with things I didn't order. If you don't like, you don't want to give to me. Well, we, we don't go to restaurants together, Michael. That's not the sort of relationship we have. 
And anyway, if we don't go to restaurants, Gary, that's your that's not my fault, that's your fault. Well it's good to know you'd say yes if I asked. So the one the one I wanted to talk about, small little story from the Irish Examiner. And there's nothing even really that interesting about the story, bar the f- the way it's written. So what it was about was, if you go on to nefit.ie, for a while there, it would redirect you to Fianna Fáil's website. Now, before that, it had redirected you to People Before Profit's website. After this story was reported, it switched to redirecting you to the Irish Times, which I suppose was really just saving people from themselves. And now it just redirects to a page that just has the intro to the outer limits on it. Yeah, Gary, before we go on here, I just had whatever has gone so badly wrong in your life that you're looking up the Nefit website, I think that should give you a pause for reflection. And maybe it's time to consider different options and different choices in your life if you're going onto the web the Nefit website, unless you have a specific vocational reason so to do. This gets reported in the Irish Examiner. And the headline is Fianna Fáil investigating why website domain nefit.ie redirects to join Fianna Fáil page. Yeah, that's an odd choice, wasn't it? Incredibly small story. However, here's the thing. The examiner's story is constructed, I would say deliberately, to confuse people and to give the worst possible view of what has happened here in relation to Fianna Fáil. So... You'd probably hear, oh, well, it redirects to join Fianna Fáil page. It redirects to the page to join the party or donate to the party. It doesn't. It redirects to the Fianna Fáil website, and the Fianna Fáil website has another link on it, which you can click on to join the party. But because that button is on the Fianna Fáil website... Along with other lots of other buttons, by the way. Oh, there's many, many buttons. But because that button is there, the examiner feels that they can say... Well, it redirects to the Join Fianna Fáil page, which doesn't really make any sense, kind of, at all. Then they later say that the, the website advertises Join Fianna Fáil, which I suppose it technically does because it says that on the website, somewhere on the page. And then they go on to say, Fianna Fáil say that a previous redirect took users to the website of People Before Profit. What they don't mention is that you can actually just use the Internet Archive, which for those who don't know, is effectively it stores uh, images of websites. You can go onto it and you can save websites yourself to it at particular times. But there are uh, there are saved images of this website that show it used to redirect to People Before Profit. The examiner don't say that. Either because they didn't bother to check, which, I mean, it's a basic tool. I doubt there's a journalist in the country that doesn't know it exists. Or mm-hmm. because not pointing out that what Fianna Fáil says is correct simply leaves it as an unsubstantiated claim of the party, as opposed to something which is just obviously correct. And then the article ends by saying the party denies any involvement with this. And the strong implication of the article is that Fianna Fáil or someone is redirecting this to get members for Fianna Fáil or donations or some nefarious purpose, is my reading of it. But that's not what happened here, and it's obviously not what happened here. But So I just wanted to mention that it's a really small story, but it is so obviously manipulated that it's worth kind of noting. The thing, to the extent, yes, it's a, it's a small little thing, but the thing that I, I, I to me was most noteworthy in not that noteworthy a thing is, that, that, you know when it gives the explanation at the bottom, or it, it rather, it gives Fianna Fáil's explanation. 
It just leaves it at that. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't continue to say which is true, or to confirm that that was in fact the case, or to add. And it also at later stages went to X, Y, or Z. It just leaves it. Fianna Fáil say that it used to full stop, which makes it hang. It's, it makes it sound like a claim rather than an assertion of a fact, which you could say you're we're parsing it down to small detail. But that's the way, to me anyway, that's the way it reads. And it's hard, it might have been accidental, but this is what you, it's, it's high quality journalism like this, Gary, that you're going to have to pay for you now behind that uh, paywall in future. Yeah, quite expensive paywall, actually, that the Irish Examiner is planning to put in from next week. But I, I think you're right. I think, and this is just my opinion, that the article has clearly been designed to maximise negative uh, reporting of Fianna Fáil even though it's a relatively minor story, which is actually why I think they kind of felt so free to just do things like this. Like say, well, you know, technically it says join Fianna Fáil on the page and therefore it is the join Fianna Fáil page. And we have join, a, join Fianna Fáil in quotation marks. So we're not actually saying it's going to the membership page or donation page. We're just saying, you know, it's going to a page that says it. And you're like, yeah, but that's horseshit. And you know it though, don't you? Yeah, it's going to the homepage. And the homepage has lots and lots of buttons, including a button which says donate or join. It's also quite amusing because it was written by Aoife Murr, who is the Irish Examiner's kind of star political correspondent. But if one of the grip lads sent this over to me and to, for sign off on, let's say something like people for profit did something similar, there's no way I would have okayed it. Just on a basic quality control level. Because you'd go like, people will look at this and go like, that's nonsense, lads. What are you doing? And you only look silly because it's too obvious. Well, it is li- literally clickbait. Somebody's having fun here, obviously, and that's grand. You know, somebody's managed to get inside and is redirecting it all over the gaff. But as a story, it's not a story, except that you frame it in such a way to click it, and then you make it sound like oh, Fianna falls up to something. We don't know what quite. And it's undefined, but there's something going on. And it's probably them. Anyway, I just, as I said, I just wanted to mention it quickly as... Occasionally you come across stories like this and nothing in this is a lie and nothing in this. Actually, I don't know. Join Finna Fall page? But that's at the very least, it's inaccurate. If a lie is something which the person who is talking to you knows to be incorrect and is telling you in order to deliberately mislead you, I think we're like we're in the right territory. Yeah, you're you're seven furlongs out of eight. Assuming assuming it's not. It's just it's deeply dishonest in its end result. Either by uh, by design or by accident. And I would lean more towards the former before I would lean towards the latter. Anyway, we'll find something in the, in the pendant next week that does this to Sinn Féin. Just to even it out. It shouldn't be hard. No, no. Even-handedness in all things. Speaking of Sinn Féin and the independent, actually. Mary Lou MacDonald and Graven Images. So for those who don't uh, didn't hear, the independent published a cartoon of Mary Lou MacDonald which depicted her as a witch with a cauldron, stirring things up and basically saying Sinn Féin have to make everything they can out of this period of abnormal, abnormal everything, really, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And that has been widely denounced as misogynistic and terrible and sexist and pretty much everything, actually. <laughs> Deeply disrespectful and hurt, according to Eamon Ryan, the Green Party leader. Hurtful, sorry. Hurt. Hurtful, deeply. Because I'm sure Mary Lou was... Terribly hurt by this, I can imagine. Because she seems to me the kind of 
gentle little wallflower of a figure that would see that it would just crush her for the whole day she probably went back to bed i have too much respect for mary lou mcdonald as a politician to think this even annoyed her gary mary what did mary lou saw see she saw a paper a paper with a, a third of the page taken up with an image of horror Good news, bad news is good news. It doesn't matter. It's Mary Lou. And the way she could push back against it in order to make it then a story about her. I find, I, I don't know. I find it hard to get exercised about these stories. I mean, to be honest, no more than yourself. It's, it's you know, these, these, these fights about PC. On one side, you've got the certain kind of conservative who's constantly raging about, oh, it's all PC gone mad. And you should be upset, blah, blah, you know. And then, on the other hand, anything... Any kind of sensibility, anything in reference to any particular permanent characteristic is by its nature sexist or racist or misogynistic or whatever. It's a cartoon, and cartoons contain caricatures. That's the clue is in the title. Are we now saying, what do you do then? I mean, what, what, is, the, what is left to the caricaturist or to the cartoonist? Only positive images? Also, is it, is it that, it's a... It's, it's taking the figure of the witch rather seriously, isn't it, somehow? I mean, if this was Salem in 1670, you know, I could see, you know, it might be an issue because, you know, being in a, a witch in Salem in 1670 could get you into trouble. The Taoiseach said he didn't approve of it and didn't approve of that kind of characterisation of women in politics. Ryan says it was deeply disrespectful and hurtful and then that the current climate dissuades a lot of people from going into politics, implying that this is part of what stops women going into politics. Leo Varadkar says, I think it was sexist, I think it was wrong, I think it was misogynistic, and I was surprised that it got published. Then you have the National Women's Council of Ireland, who said that it was a deeply sexist trope used to dehumanise women, and exactly the type of behaviour that deters women from going into politics. My immediate response was, if seeing that image on its own was enough to make you reconsider your idea of getting into politics, don't go into politics. Run as far away from politics as you can, because you're not going to enjoy it. It's not going to end well for anyone involved. As I said, I, I, I find it a non-story, and I suppose... The, the only reason why it's interesting is that they all decided that they had to react to it and they had to react to it with such energy and vim and vigour. To take it seriously for half a moment, what is the single dominant cultural figure of a witch for most people under the age of 50 in, uh, today in the English-speaking world? It must be Harry Potter. I mean, if this had been... If she had been portrayed as Hermione or... Um, Professor McGonagall, would that have been a... Is that a bad thing? Is that a cliché? Is that a stereotype? Is that Would that be sexist, is misogynist? If it had been a man doing the same thing, portrayed as some kind of a Merlin wizard figure, but then again, I, I, I don't know. I, it just seems so fucking stupid. And the capacity for people to get annoyed about this kind of thing. Or at least, I suppose, Gary, is it that we actually suspect that they're not actually annoyed at all. But this is all just performance. This is all a bunch of lies. They don't really think this. And if they really did think that, we might actually have more time for them. But neither you nor I believe for one second that Mary Lou MacDonald was in the least bit put out by this. She is a significant 
the competent, strong, organised politician. She is good at what she does. She knows what she's at. And the idea that she's going to be hurt by that, that cartoon, it wasn't a particularly good cartoon, I suppose. It wasn't. It's not even a good likeness of her. And it's lazy, and it's the usual thing from The Independent about Sinn Féin. But yeah. the National Women's Council coming out and saying that it's it's a trope used to dehumanise women. And they're just allowed to say these things in the same way that politicians can just say, well, it's it's misogynistic, and it's sexist, and it's all of these things. I just sort of go, I wonder how much you can explain that. More than the bare minimum. If there was a question of how exactly is it those things... And not one that you can bullshit your way out of or sort of grandstand. Can you actually explain why that is misogynistic? Also, I would point out that in the cartoon, Mary Lou, as the witch, seemed to be commanding a not insubstantial amount of uh, militant-looking people. Yeah, all the male, the main figure are all these little, 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 uh, little munchkins, little bodkins that are running around doing her bidding. She, I mean, there's one thing, certainly, the implicit thing is that in the cartoon is that she is a powerful person capable of enchanting and uh, sorcery. But if we want to take it seriously for half a minute, there's another side to this as well. Is this not dreadfully infantilizing about, of, of women and, and, and young women and girls to say that this kind of thing is so damaging to them? are so hurtful to them, are so off-putting to them, that it could substantially change the, the, the choices they might make about their career or the direction that they might go in their vocation. This kind of thing. Really? I don't think so. I have a niece who is 15. 16? 15? Anyway, 16 now. God. And I, I can no more imagine her opening the independent, looking at that, and it having the slightest effect on her or her sense of her her worth, or her esteem, her self esteem, or her understanding of her capabilities, that I can imagine her getting on a broom and flying to the moon—it's just nonsense. This to, to suggest that something like this is seriously going to damage, affect, or hurt some reasonably intelligent sixteen-year-old girl. That, that doesn't seem to be very, it's just, it doesn't seem to be likely or reasonable at all. And it also suggests ultimately a very low opinion of the capacities and strengths of 16, 15 year old girls. What I thought was interesting was the uniform response across every political party of the state. And this sort of just belief that what they're saying is a serious thing, like that this is a misogynistic, harmful cartoon that is perpetuating the dehumanization of women according to the national women's council of ireland and these people are allowed to stand there and say these things as if they're serious people but it's competitive it's competitive hymn singing once one person starts to sing the hymn they all feel that they all have to come in and join in and everybody has to sing it together they all say the same things more or less and they all sing the same tune more or less and that way everybody's covered. Nobody can be, no, they can't point out, oh, you didn't say anything. You must be, you must be suspect. I, you know, it's like Goody Proctor having Congress with the devil because she said nothing. Do you think, um, do you think that Leo Varadkar thought that uh, cartoon was sexist, wrong, misogynistic, and was surprised that the Irish Independent would publish it, even if all those things were true? Which they're, on the face of it, don't appear to be. 
I mean, Eamon Ryan, maybe. Well, yeah, Eamon Ryan, maybe. I doubt it. I, is it sexist? Yeah, maybe it is. I don't, I don't know. I'm not an expert. I, might be. I don't think it's misogynistic. I don't think it's very good. I th- maybe that's the biggest failing. If it was funny, that's the old. That's the rule of thumb, really, isn't it, Gary? If you're going to say something, and you're going to do something on a little bit on the edge of acceptability, then you better be funny, and that then you get away with it. Anyway, I'm. I think I may suggest to grip them. We've started actually a political cartoon ourselves, Michael. I don't. I don't understand political cartoons. I've never found them interesting. Well, we should. I. 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 I'll wait. I'll wait. I'll be waiting. For the is it once a week uh, cartoon? Is it? It's. I think it's every Sunday now. They are political cartoons. If you like that sort of thing, you like them. I never did, but as political cartoons, I can say they certainly are political cartoons. Okay, I shall. I shall check it out. On the issue of um, NGOs, NGOs just being able to say things, NGOs and politicians being able to say things, and everyone sitting there and going. Yes, this is a serious thing that we must take seriously because these are respectable people. There is a new report out on racism. No, there isn't. Yes, there is. No, there isn't. I've I've read it, Gary, and no, there isn't. It's from the Irish Network Against Racism. You may have seen this widely reported in newspapers, which have breathlessly been talking about the increase in racist incidents. And you may have read that and come away with the impression that there had been an increase in racist incidents. Well, let me be the first to tell you that uh, that may have happened, but this report damn well doesn't show it. (laughs) So what this is, is Einar are the Irish Network Against Racism. They're part of the European Network Against Racism. They're a pretty left-wing group. And what they do is they run a service called iReport.ie. And it's worth actually having a look at it because this is where they draw all their stats from. Now, what iReport.ie is, is you go onto it and you can report a racist incident. And there's a phone app, should you need to make many racist incident complaints. And you can go on and you can select what type of racist instance it was and you can upload files and all that. And you can go through it and do all sorts of that stuff. What is important here to note, however, is that the data on iReport does two things. One, it uses a very particular definition of racism. It says a racist incident is any incident which has the effect of undermining anyone's enjoyment of their human rights based on their background. That's part of it. But then they also say that any incident which is perceived to be racist by the victim or any other person is by definition a racist incident. So it's utterly subjective. It's utterly subjective, but it also means if someone reports an incident to iReport and says, I thought this was racist, and there is nothing in it, it is by their definition racist. They cannot come back and say, well, it didn't really meet any criteria, because the only criteria they apply is that someone says, I thought this was racist, which is to say the very act of making the report means it was racist. I, d- I have to say, I, I did quite like the, the poetry of the first definition. A racist incident is any incident which has the effect of undermining anyone's enjoyment of their human rights based on their background. I just, I pictured myself strolling around maybe Stevens Green or Marley Park on a sunny day, sun's out and I'm there and I'm enjoying it. Perhaps I'm having an ice cream, Gary, and I'm just wandering around enjoying my human rights. Just really enjoying them, having a nice time with myself and my human rights. And somebody goes by and shouts something horrible like, 
go back to Mexico or get back to the strawberry fields. And it would just ruin your day. And I would just, you know, I'd go from enjoying my human rights, just not enjoying them at all. Just, they would be like ashes in my mouth. And it's a terrible thing, you know, when you've been enjoying your rights and then you just don't, you can't enjoy them at all. And it could be days before you could enjoy them properly again. Oh. I think that's, it's, it's, a, it's a terrible, terrible, terrible. Here's the second thing that you have to note about this, Michael. Yes. The data is anonymized. But when someone says data is anonymized, it's important to realize when the data is anonymized. So you have anonymization of input and you have anonymization of output. So yes, let's say I deal with a source on a story and I make an agreement that I can quote him, but I won't use their name or their position or anything like that on a not-for-attribution basis, basically. Yeah. That is anonymization at output. I know who they are. That data exists and I can check back with them to make sure yes. this reporting uses anonymization at input, which is to say, if you make a report on iReport, you don't provide any personal details. INAR, if they wanted to, could not confirm anything you have put in unless what you have put in is public in some way. And think of the impact of those two things together. Anything someone who reports something says is racist is by their definition a racist incident and they have no way of verifying the identities of anyone who submitted the information, let alone the veracity of that information, because they're not interested in verifying the information. Just something here which is maybe slightly more, well, people might find a little bit more concerning. Um... There's a reference here to uh, the effects and blah, blah, blah. And it says, uh, the UK Association of Chiefs Police Officers in its guidelines on monitoring incidents recommends that police forces recall all racist incidents, criminal and non-criminal. New recording practices being brought online on Garda Shikana in 2021 will be able to capture these. We know, and we've reported on this before, the fact that in the United Kingdom now, Police are in, are recording and following up non-criminal incidents, which are defined as being racist incidents. And remembering that the definition of racist incidents is utterly subjective. So just for, for clarity, imagine three people. I say something to you, Gary, and you are a different ethnicity to me. And I say something which I don't intend to be racist. You do not experience it as racist, but a third person observing the interaction perceives it as racist. That person is in a position to report that incident. And since it is in the opinion of, the, of you or any other person to decide whether or not it is racist, it is by definition of the regulations or the, set, the way the, the recording has, is, is set up. It is in fact racist. It's not a discussion. This is not something that which will be adjudicated by anybody. It is axiomatically racist. That is reported. Now, people in the United Kingdom have been saying that they thought that the police had better things to do than get involved in recording and investigation. Things which were not crimes. It is, as this points out from now on, under the, the guidance of our uh, commissioner, the Guardi will be involved in doing the same things. Now, I don't want to be sort of getting involved in what about her. I don't know if you're aware, Gary, there has been some concern expressed in the last little while about the breakdown of law and order in the city centre in Dublin. 
roaming gangs of youths and fights on O'Connell Bridge and I saw a fight there recently on the Samuel Beckett Bridge and a, an incident of stabbing and these feral gangs wandering around the place and people simply saying that they don't feel safe walking the streets. Now, if that's going on in the middle of the capital city, you would have thought that maybe the guards have some more serious things to be spending their admittedly limited resources on. But no, from now on, that this is what one of the things they will have to be doing. Now, again, I don't know if this is important, but for example, irrespective of the number of offenders, it is the number of victims of an incident that dictate how many offences will be recorded. So, for example, Gary, say myself and a large group of my friends were in Dublin to attend for a, perhaps a hurling match in Croke Park, and you were to go by on your bicycle and shout some anti-Wexford epithet at us. Uh, again, uh, Wexicans, go back to your beautiful land of beaches, sunshine and strawberries. Well, there'll be one of you and 20 of us but that would be recorded, Gary, as 20 racist incidents. Now, I don't think that's how people will understand that incident, but that's how it will be recorded. And then that's how it will be reported because there were 20 victims rather than 20 perpetrators. There were 20 incidents. And I think, again, you might say this is one thing, but I think that's the kind of thing that should be understood. So much of this stuff is bad meat hidden by sauce. It's never explained properly in the press when they report these things. They just report blandly, this is a fact, this is a fact, this is a fact. It came from a report. So just on the way this was reported, the Irish Times headline, Irish far-right fake news helps spur record number of racist incidents. The journal, racist incidents reach record number amid pandemic and rise of far-right fake news. So... When you go into the actual report, there is a breakdown of where the reports are coming from and what they are in relation to. The problem, again, is the definition and the anonymized um, nature of the data. Now, they will most likely say, well, we need to anonymize the data in order to protect people and allow them to make complaints, which is a fair point. But that anonymization only needs to be there on the output. It doesn't mean that you can't collect the data and verify it yourself. The fact you're not doing it yourself sort of means nothing that these people report can actually be shown to mean anything. There could be one person who simply submits 700 reports to them and they wouldn't even notice it. And this actually came up when the Edinburgh Institute put in our submission on the the hate speech bill to the Department of um, Justice. They were talking about increases in these instances. And the point we made to them is that there is no objective recording of these instances. The only people recording them, because the state doesn't record them, are various NGOs who are dedicated to this purpose and who are running things like this where there is absolutely no verification of the information provided. But this this report, there's nothing in it. There's no... There's not even a methodology section because there is no methodology. It looks like they went through the reports that were put in and selected ones that might meet certain criminal criteria that might be assaults, that might be these things, but they can't actually show the data that they're sorting is actually real. And I think the problem with talking about this is that the more people you show it to, the more people can go on and as a joke report something, which I've seen happen after this story was reported, and these people don't care. Because that actually, to them, is just another incident. 
they will absolutely use that in their reports next year because they don't have the ability to actually see what is fake and not. So there's no point trying to mess around with it and just show how easy it is to fool because I would strongly suspect how easy it is to put false information in may not be the point but may be a, shall we say, not entirely unwelcome consequence of the way this was set up. Yes. Gary, I don't know. I would be sceptical, but I'm, I'm not in a position to say it's not true. But no one is in a position to say it's not true. But similarly, no one is in a position to say it's actually true. What they have done is create data that could be true or could be false. It's sort of a Schrodinger's data. There's no way to prove it's false. But they, on the same basis, cannot show it's true because they can't verify it. It's just there. It's just a claim with nothing behind it other than the fact that someone took the time to write it into iReport. I would also make the point, and this is more just of a general point, that if you are an NGO working on a, on a particular area, if the situation were to get better, you might not receive as much media attention or funding in the year or years thereafter, and that there may be an incentive there. If you have built, let's say, a black box of a machine which no one can prove the truth or distruth of, to uh, inflate certain numbers, or to at least mention it to people who might inflate it. Not saying that's happened in this case, I'm just saying they've built a system that can do that. If you have uh, any volunteer organisation which is set up in order to achieve a particular aim, it has historically been the case that the closer they are to actually achieving the original aim, the more likely they are to evolve the nature of the the aim and the outreach and the charism of the organization in order because it is the nature of any institution first and foremost to make sure that it stays in existence nobody's going to write themselves out of a job nobody's going to write themselves out of a meaning so no no no, no poverty group that i'm aware of has ever stopped uh, its work because they've announced oh by okay we have We've run out of poverty. Anyway, the, these people are supported by the government through various means. The NGOs, there's businesses, trade unions. These guys have a lot of backing. And you would think they would do better work. I think my issue here is that they have not one issue, but two issues. If they were actually verifying the stories, even if they were using a bad definition, there would at least be something there that they'd put in some work. But the fact they have both the definition and no verification systems at all is just a sort of well we're not even trying but then why would they try because you can report it with absolutely no safeguards no methodology no way of showing anything you say has any backing effectively what you have isn't data at all and it will be reported in national newspapers credulously with absolutely no questions as to um you know what is this what is actually here so why would you put in the effort when you can just do total dog shit, and you know, get the same end results. The public will think you've done good work. Journalists are happy to cover it. Why put yourself out? I mean, pride in your work might be one reason, but that's obviously not in heavy supply in this country. Also, let's face it, even reading this report seems to me that they're mining for, they're mining for gold of which there isn't that much, even at the best of times. I always love when people do like not not advanced, but detailed statistical breakdowns of data that just there's just not a lot there, and you're like you you are you are slicing this thin sun. Like anyway, that is uh, 
that's that. I'm sure they'll be doing the rounds over the next week or two, because why wouldn't they? They're on a good thing with the press at the minute. And, you know, get the press where you can. Uh, another another wonderful state-backed NGO saving us from ourselves. Get the tax dollars where you can. And, of course, these people are heavily lobbying for hate speech laws. In fact, these people are not just lobbying. They are the primary source of stats arguing why we need hate speech laws that are being used by the government as well, actually. Yeah, and I suppose that's why we, that's one very good reason why we actually have to take these things more seriously maybe than we would like to. Because it's this kind of nonsense that's informing <coughs> those people that are in dollar and that make, their law, make the laws that control our lives. And they will do so on the basis of this kind of nonsense. And they will do so. And then before you know it, Michael, the guards are saying things like, you know, non-crime hate incident. And, you know, a hate instance is anything perceived as a hate instance by anyone in existence. And people with dogs will be getting arrested. I'm waiting for the crossover between these guys and the guards. Because the guards have said they'll start measuring these things using the same definition of perception. So by that basis, at what point do the guards decide that they will accept the iReport stats as that? Because obviously they came from someone who thought they were racist because they made the report. And then Einar will effectively have a direct hand right into the guards' stat collection. And it will absolutely happen because no one in this country will care uh, because we're just not a serious place. There was a product Michael wanted to talk about a couple of weeks ago. And I said we shouldn't because it was still going through some of the regulatory phases and it relates to COVID and I just, I hate bringing up stuff in development because so much of it is just nonsense. Now it's actually got permission to sell in a couple of countries and Michael was right and I was overly cautious. So Michael, take it away. No, 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 you were absolutely right, Gary. I'll tell you, for the same reasons why I went through, I would say, I don't know how many web searches and checks I don't know many websites and then did I, I not only I checked the sites that they appeared on but I checked I then googled the websites they appeared on to see if they were actually genuine you know scholarly sites or whatever it's a small potential piece of good news we don't know there are so many of these things of the last year Gary that have appeared and then have disappeared like smoke from a barbecue never to be seen again however this looks like there may be something to it and that's all i want to to say i just wanted to bring it to people's attention because people may know somebody who lives in israel or new zealand um, there's a, a pharmaceutical company a biotech company called sanitize research and development corp and it has bases in british columbia in vancouver canada and in Tel Aviv, Israel, got those Israelis, Gary. This is the third sort of scientific breakthrough coming out of Israel, and along with all the, the, the vaccinations. They're, they're up to something over there, I'll tell you. It's something, something happening in the water. It's, an, it's, a, it's a very simple thing. It's a nasal spray. And this nasal spray will contain a, a solution of nitric oxide. Now, that's not nitrous oxide, Gary. But no, nitrous is used by uh, the kind of people that use. I'm going. This is. I mean, this. My information is simply based on watching American situation situation comedies. Nitrous is. I think the same kind of people who use meth use nitrous, and I think it's something you can put in cars as well. Anyway, this is a thing called nitric oxide spray, N O N S, nons, 
and it protects users from viruses that enter through the body through the upper nasal pathways. And they have recently, they have been given permission to sell it to the public in pharmacies and it has been registered to be in sales also in New Zealand. Now, the thing about it is it's up to now all of the treatments that have been developed have been rather expensive mono, mono, mononuclonal uh, pharmaceuticals which have to be delivered intravenously, whatever. This is something which can be used by the individuals, you know those sprays you give yourself, like if you have a blocked up nose, that kind of thing, shut off the nose and away you go. And they have developed this product which kills viruses in the upper nasal passages, passageway. It's delivered by a spray bottle, which contains a month supply for an individual. In the test that they've done so far, they did um, a small test in England on, I think it was maybe 80 or 90 people who had COVID and it tested, they found that it decreased the viral load in the upper nasal passageways by around 99%. What this did, it stopped the virus incubating and then it stopped it then migrating into the lungs, which of course, evades the possibility of it developing into a much more serious respiratory illness. And also it cuts down on its transmissibility. Now that kind of number doesn't sound like much of a thing. However, they had done this on the back of a double blind with placebo trial base of, of 7,000 people in Canada. And it seems to be very, very effective. Now, this the pharmacology toxicity and safety data for the use in humans has been well established for decades, says Dr. Chris Miller, Chief Science Officer. And the it allows the treatment to be self-administered effectively and affordably. Now, we don't have a price here yet. But it sounds like the kind of thing that could be used, Gary, in conjunction with vaccination, when you have large amounts of the population. It's the, it's the kind of things that you could use if you weren't vaccinated, but you're in a, you found yourself in a situation, in a place where you perhaps you were worried that you might be exposed to contagion. You can use this as a prophylaxis, or if you were to discover that you've been in contact with somebody who has maybe who was a first, who was a close contact or had the infection. This, if you use this in the very early stages of infection, it would stop the infection. It would either stop the infection just full stop, or it would stop the infection uh, increasing and going into the lungs. And if you did get ill, you'd only get a very mild version of the disease. So on the basis that it's going to be cheap, it's going to be self-administered, if if it works, and so far it looks like it's, it, it'll be, I'd be very interested to see how it's going in, in New Zealand. New Zealand, by the way, has been very slow in its rollout of uh, vaccines. In very effective, as famous lockdown uh, has contained, it. but its vaccination process is pretty slow. It'll be also interesting in the UK because even though the UK has got lots of people vaccinated and the death, not people's, the number of deaths has declined very, very substantially. Hospitalizations are going down. There are still lots and lots of cases. So. How this affects the pe those people who, are, who have cases and maybe are getting symptomatic, uh, that'll be interesting. It's just something that, considering, put it this way, Gary, considering that we are not moving quite as quickly as we would have liked to with our vaccination program, maybe something like this, if it does really do what it says it does on the bottle, income combination with the ongoing vaccination program could be something that would help an anticipated and uh, it could help us anticipate 
the opening up of the economy in a safe way earlier than perhaps we would first would otherwise have thought. So it's a, I would recommend anybody out there that was interested to have a look at Google and see yourselves what you think about it. Maybe, maybe it'll be nothing. I, but it, it, the noises seem to be better about this than a lot of the other stuff. It's called Sanotize, S-A-N-O-T-I-Z-E. And it's been registered with New Zealand Medicines and Medical Devices Safety Authority and has been permitted for sale to distribute and sell over the counter. Now, the reason we're talking about it is because simply it wouldn't have been licensed in Israel and New Zealand with the description on the packet unless it was, you know what they say, if it does what it says on the tin. If you're say if you're making this, they're making they're making a medical claim, and unless the authorities in Switzerland and Switzerland in New Zealand and in uh, Israel believed that there was some basis to those claims, they wouldn't be able to do that. That's the only reason we're talking about it now. That if 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 it's for sale, then there must there may be something to do. I read in an, one of the articles that they are also seeking emergency use approval uh, either now or, or very shortly in the United Kingdom. And if that's the case, well, then I think maybe a trip up to Straban or to Newry to buy a couple of sprays might be the thing. Anyway, Gary, it's a little bit of potentially good news. We keep our fingers crossed. I look forward to it being okayed for sale in Ireland, winter 2023. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. That would be super, wouldn't it? Anything quicker would risk causing panic. A panic, yes, and God knows, Gary, the most dangerous thing you could possibly have in the middle of a pandemic. Panic. You think we would have revaluated that after all those deaths, but no, I still think you're right. No, 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 no revaluations, no, no. Panic is the most important. You know, it's it's a bit like, it's when, when, they, when, when, when and if we ever get, get, get back to the old Cold War scenarios about three-minute warning, they'll still be saying that. Somebody will be saying, you know, in the next three minutes, please, walk, don't run. You know, don't panic. You know, the world is going to end in a nuclear disaster in the next three minutes. But for God's sake, don't lose your heads. We could have asked them not to, but that would have seemed desperate. Yeah, absolutely. You'd lose your dignity that kind of way. We will be back on Friday. All the best. Bye-bye.